Thanks for joining me today on today's episode of Cloud and Clear. My name is Peter Mark Verward. I'm the Associate CTO for Infrastructure here at SADA. And I'd like to welcome today's guest, Mike Lurie. So Mike, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you based? I am based in Vancouver, Canada, um, which is really exciting. I moved here from the prairies and I love it being in the mountains next to the ocean. It's been wonderful. That sounds awesome. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, Thentia, your company? Yeah, you, you got it. So Thentia is a um, cloud, GovTech software as a service platform, Thentia Cloud. Um, it's built by regulators for regulators, um, and it specializes in licensing. So it's essentially a one-stop shop for everything licensing related for GovTech clients. So governments, government agencies, other regulators, we handle all of that. And we try to provide a configurable solution that digitizes the licensing steps. So if you've ever thought about, oh, hey, I'm a nurse, I need to go get my nursing license after I finish school and the, the complexities that are associated with that, uploading your information, logging in, recording all your education data, submitting the documents, waiting for it to be assessed. Our solution handles all of that from end to end for our government clients. No, there really isn't great. anything like that out there. Sorry. <clears throat> no, no, not at all. That sounds great. That's uh, That sounds like you're taking on a lot of complexity uh, for people. Thanks for that answer, Mike. Um, could you tell me a little more specifically about what your role is um, and what you do there? Yeah, so my role is a principal consultant, uh, regulatory SME, we call it subject matter expert. And basically, I'm the one of the regulators that's helped build up the product. So when we talk about built by regulators for regulators, I'm one of them as our clients. So I've had the opportunity to work with, at this point, over 80 clients uh, in different sort of regulatory spaces like financial, health, and otherwise to uh, adapt their needs to our platform with the help of our teams and essentially help them understand what best practices are for licensing processes. Um, I've been with the company for a while, uh, for about three years. And in the startup world, three years is uh, a century. And I started when we were just 20 people. And now we've been able to grow to almost 150 people at this point, just over the last couple of years. So my role has sort of evolved uh, throughout that history. Um, but that's what I do now. Um, and it's been, it's been great. Uh, it's been a lot of work to get here. Um, obviously, a lot of <laughs> interactions. My day is primarily spent in, in meetings. Uh, speaking to clients, but uh, it, it's a lot of fun and I love it. That's awesome. That sounds really interesting. Maybe could you tell me and uh, our audience a little bit about the career path that led you to this role? You know, what, how do you get on this path? How do you, you know, get the experience necessary to do what you do? And is this, you know, where you thought you'd end up? Is this kind of what your plan always was? Or how did you get here? That's a good question, because did I think I would always end up here? Absolutely not. I, I started my career right out of university in regulation. So I worked for a licensing agency. Uh, I started as a intern of sorts, and then quickly, somehow they identified, hey, we, we need you here full time, offered me a role, and I've sort of been in regulation ever since. Um, I actually, my education background is in marketing and HR. So I never thought that regulation would really play a, a role into that. I haven't really used marketing as much, although it gave me some key insights into, uh, you know, communication methods and styles that have helped me in my role. But ultimately, I had the opportunity to work at a regulator and not just work there, but help transform a smaller regulator uh, from the start. So it was really nice having 
the power, the latitude and the freedom from the executive committees to be able to go and change a bunch of processes as a regulator. I essentially took a small regulator from an entirely paper-based process to almost completely online and digital in about a year and a half. And it was a transformation that they didn't think was going to happen with the resources that they had, um, which was really exciting. And because of that, I was able to touch on uh, various areas in the regulatory space. So it's actually quite vast. There's not It's not just licensing. Uh, it's not just getting your license, evaluating the license. There's discipline components. There's uh, legislative policies. There's bylaws. Uh, there's complaints management. There's a whole world of things that happen in regulation. And I was able to sort of, through my work in transforming the organization, touch each of these areas. So it gave me a great insight into essentially what regulators needed and also what they didn't have um, by speaking to, to other regulators through that process. Um, but yeah, I started in regulation, worked there for the whole first part of my career. Uh, joined Thentia about three years ago, and my hats, I've worn many hats, like I said, when you're in a company with 20 people, you wear many more hats than you do when you're in a company with 150, so that's changed quite a bit, but um, uh, I was able to deliver a lot of successful projects uh, within the company, and I wouldn't have been able to do that without that sort of regulatory knowledge and background that I had come with, because it's a certain language you have to be able to speak. Uh, each sector, I think, has that, you know, the, the nomenclature that's specific to that industry. And it's hard to recruit people out of government, you know, to move over to private industry to, to help work with government clients. And I made the leap. I knew the language. I knew what they needed to do. I knew what the outcomes needed to be. And uh, I was able to design and implement some solutions that actually won awards for some agencies, which was great. That's really interesting. That's a that's a you know kind of wild sort of career path, especially given where you started and where you are today. Um, let's say there there's somebody out there who has some sort of inkling that they have a you know the beginnings of a similar career, or this sounds really interesting in terms of kind of how can they dive into um, you know this this area of uh, regulation and and kind of make. Um, an impact on, you know, a lot of different um, individuals or companies, you know, do you have any kind of professional advice for somebody who wants to kind of follow on this path or, or some sort of similar type path? So it's, a, it's quite a unique role, uh, having regulatory experience and being able to apply that to a specific role as a principal consultant. As a consultant, ultimately what you're doing is taking information from clients and help translate those into solutions. And so there's lots of different principal consultant roles out there, but a regulatory SME or subject matter expert um, requires the background uh, of regulation to be able to speak to the clients, to be able to solve their needs. But you can't just focus on that one area, sort of like I mentioned earlier, you need to dive into each separate area of regulation. So if the opportunity, the advice I would give uh, someone that wants to get to a similar role, not just as a principal consultant, but as a regulatory SME, which is rather uncommon, is look at the macro view of your organization. First of all, work for a regulator. Get a job for a regulator so you understand what it is that they're doing, how they do it, and the whys. The whys are very important because it's often overlooked. And then look at a way to get involved in the organization, to get that macro view, to see how the cross-functional departments work. Take opportunities to uh, 
get involved in transformation projects and digital transformation projects uh, and learn from it. Uh, that'll set you up well to have the skill set to be able to advise people down the road. And of course, if you have opportunities to work with other organizations in your role as a regulator, absolutely do so because knowledge is power. And the more people that you work with, the greater your uh, sort of window is into the regulatory landscape and it helps you to make better decisions. So I hope that's good enough advice, but it's very specific advice, but it's advice nonetheless. No, that's pretty good advice. That really is. Uh, I think that's kind of uh, very interesting for anyone who kind of finds this whole uh, arena fascinating is, you know, I think there's a possibility to to look at this and find it you know, kind of intellectually stimulating and then think to yourself, but how do I start? And so I think that's very interesting. And, you know, kind of in the, in the same vein, like looking back on what you've done so far, is there anything that you would tell yourself or, or kind of, you know, something you had wished that you had known when you started out um, that you know today? Mm, about the about the field, well, personal advice would have been like buy crypto and sell it in 2021. That's what Absolutely. the actual <laughs> advice would have been. That's, but, that's, that's exactly yeah, right. You know, but uh, otherwise, you know, I think it's just a natural career progression, uh, you know, sort of as you gain experience and start to start to understand the landscape a little bit better. But in my early career, if I looked back to, to that point, uh, everything was always an emergency all the time. And um, it was really challenging to work in such an environment where, you know, you didn't take, you didn't focus on that work-life balance. Um, and it took a while for me to learn and understand that, hey, not everything is an emergency as much as people make it out to be. Not everything needs to be done today. Take your personal time seriously. And, uh, you know, it's not going to kill anyone to respond to that non-critical work email, uh, you know, in a couple of days when you actually have time. It's not a big deal. And that's not specific to, I would say, this role in general, things that uh, th this there's a lot of things that I've learned in this role that have surprised me, especially as you get to work with so many different government agencies. Um, you know, just the use the uh, the use of technology, the amount of organizations that are still completely using paper. And as a technology person, I look at that, I'm thinking, holy moly, like these guys are in the Stone Age. But as it turns out, that's pretty common, and uh, most most organizations are are in that position. So. Anyways, that was very roundabout, but uh, ultimately, take your personal time seriously. Don't overcomplicate things, and uh, don't treat everything as an emergency. Very, it was very yeah, helpful. That, that's pretty good advice, actually. That's uh, those are good things to live by. Um, I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about uh, Thentia more broadly. Um, you you've mentioned a few uh, kind of industries that that you guys work in. Could you kind of describe? what sectors, um, you know, Thentia sells to, like where are your customers located and, you know, kind of what's, what's the ideal sweet spot for you in terms of working with customers? Who are you really looking for? So our main clients are, we're a GovTech platform. So our clients are primarily government agencies or regulators. So we operate both in Canada and the U.S. at this time. I suspect we'll be moving to Europe shortly as we all have the same challenges in this industry, but the landscapes are a little different depending on the country that you're, uh, that, that you reside in. The rules are different, the laws are different, the regulations uh, and the approaches are, are a little bit different and change. But So um, 
as a uh, naturalized American uh, who was Canadian, actually, I still am, um, I'm kind of curious uh, about the the difference between the U.S. So I think most of the time, uh, uh, Canadians, we feel that uh, the Canadian government is heavily regulated and that the Americans are not. And I think living in the U.S., I think most Americans think that the, the American government is heavily regulated and the Canadians are not. Um, I suspect probably neither of those point of view are entirely correct, but what would you say are the biggest differences between working with, say, a Canadian government agency versus an American one? Well, there's a, there's a few things. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, how connected they are to the government. So if you were to say, uh, you know, one has more regulation than the other, I would argue that, no, that's not the case. They both, both have equal amounts of regulation. It's just the, the difference is mainly how that's executed. So in the U.S., government agencies are effectively arms of the government. Uh, so they are enacted, you know, through some sort of legislation or by power and delegated privileges through a state agency or through the state itself, because most regulators are state to state. In Canada, regulators are an arm's length from government. So that means that they operate almost as independent entities that are still accountable to the government, but they aren't necessarily uh, intertwined with government in the same way. So that gives the Canadian regulators a lot more latitude to execute certain things the way that they feel that it should be done. With that, though, comes with a lot more comes a lot more control in some circumstances uh, in terms of what's happening. Uh, a lot more review periods, uh, a lot more stakeholder engagements, uh, just because of the the nature of being an arm's length from from government. They have control over their own IT infrastructure. They have control over their policies, their staff, um, and that ultimately leads to the organizations being much much larger. A simple example of that is a uh, like a chiropractor regulator uh, that's licensing chiropractors in Canada. You know, the licensing fee can be anywhere from 1700 to 2500 Canadian dollars per year, contrasted with a similar regulator of similar size in the U.S., where the licensing fee is around the $350 mark biannually. So we're talking like, you know, they're, they're paying almost 15 times the amount for licensing fees. But the difference there is on the American side, the regulators they can rely on the government. So a big part of regulation is can, is uh, public safety and addressing complaints and having a mechanism to be able to deal with those complaints, right? So in, in the US, the agencies will sort of start their process, but then they'll hand it off to a legal team that's with the state or the attorney general's office to sort of take from there. In Canada, the regulators are responsible for doing the entire end-to-end -end component of, of enforcement on their own, which is very, very costly. Lawyers and courts and all of those components are expensive. So there is a need for the organization to be bigger and larger and have more capital available. And that results in charging more licensing fees. Um, so that, that was the, that's the first, actually, that's, that's most of the, the main differences. Otherwise, we, we're doing a lot of the same things. Ultimately, we're intaking applicants, we're assessing them, and we're outputting a license. And uh, that's it. And uh, you may not know the answer to this because you said you were looking to expand or, or about to expand into Europe. But do you have a sense of what the major differences would be between, say, uh, the two big North American um, 
governments and uh, and what the EU and maybe uh, the UK require and, and, and you know, how, how are they going to be different? Yeah, so I would say that in the EU, at least in the UK, I can speak to the UK just a little bit. They're more towards the Canadian style of regulation where those agencies are arm's length from government. Um, so much bigger, have a lot of funds, not reliable on external parties to get a lot of the work done. So good or bad, I don't know. But the experience that we're gaining in Canada and the US in terms of how our clients are executing the work is going to help the European clients regardless, even if some of the approaches and technicalities and rules may be slightly different. But yeah, closer Europe is closer to Canada than it is to the US. And that's not good or bad. That's just what it is. Right. Okay. Um, and, you know, you've been in this uh, industry for a while. You've, you've been at your company for a while. Is there anything interesting that you've noticed in terms of trends um, throughout uh, different governments, different types of agencies, any things that are, you know, changing for the better, for the worse, for the neutral? You know, what are, what are you seeing happen uh, over the last few years? Yeah, so I mean, there's been a lot of change, particularly, and it's been forced change, particularly in the last two to three years. Um, you know, everyone started working from home. There was no paper options; did not be, were, were not viable anymore. No one was going to the office, so there was this big push to digitize everything. And while that push is still in progress, I think governments were able to recognize the value of investing in technology and how it can mitigate the risk of something like this happening. Now, granted, you know, our situation around COVID and otherwise was sort of a, you know, I'm, I'm told it's a one in a century type thing. Now we have monkeypox, so it seems like a twice in a decade sort of thing. But who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, but, yeah. we'll you see. know, it's forced them. Yeah, it's forced them <laughs> to look at technology, figure out how they can make remote work accessible, um, how they can intake information without needing any type of physical presence. Um, and how they can use that technology to essentially help their their uh, their work and assess their work and use the data to make good decisions. And so we're seeing more and more of this from not just regulators, but state governments as a whole saying, hey, you know, we need to move on this. We need to get involved. We need to make the change to our solutions. We need to look at the big picture in terms of where we're going, because if we don't, we're going to left be left behind. And, um, you know, the, what that looks like is. Uh, you know, March to essentially September of 2020. No work got done effectively. And that, that was unfortunate. So, but that was the reality. So it's helped a lot with the preparing, preparing on how to address that risk, but it's also given them the sort of boost and the momentum that they need. And, and in some cases, the funding to be able to pursue these types of digital transformations, move away from paper and some people love paper. I mean, gosh, when I want to read something, I want to read a paper book. I, I don't want to read it on a, a Kindle. Um, I, I don't know why, but I, I prefer it. And so it's not going to go away permanently. But if at least you can reduce it, um, you know, offload some of the, the data entry to the stakeholders instead of the staff, um, you, you know, use online systems, it, it, it helps a lot. So anyways, big shift to, in digital transformation that we're seeing on all levels of government. And it's really exciting. Yeah, I'm sure. And so somewhat related to that, um, you know, just listening to you right now, I've got a pretty good sense of how useful it could be if I were, you know, a government agency to have Thentia come in and, um, you know, work with us. But from your point of view, kind of in your words, where do you see um, 
you know, you and your company offering differentiation in, in the market? Like, what are you bringing that's kind of unique and special? And, and, you know, what's the best about you guys? Oh, there's, I mean, there's lots and I won't toot our own horn, our, our horn too much, but I mean, the, the first that was thing a, that I That noticed, was a horn tooting question. Okay. I'm going to toot it then. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So the, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that make us different. And I fortunately had, having had that opportunity to work on the regulatory side before through a digital transformation prod, project, I was able to evaluate some of the competitors out there. That's what I was doing, trying to figure out what's on the market. What can we do? What can we use? And there really wasn't anything out there. There were a lot of or agents or organizations rather that were trying to sell consulting services to essentially make a homegrown system for an, an agency. Uh, but that doesn't always work because you're not considering best practice. It's very, very costly to do so. And the maintenance is is incredible when you have you know this spaghetti of a system that was built from the ground up by a bunch of consultants for you. So what we've been able to do is take our internal regulatory expertise, and that's not just me. We've got a, a bunch of people on our team that that we consult and get feedback from clients and provide that best practice information to our clients. Chances are, if they think they want to do it one way, we've probably done, tried you know, in our history to do that one way and, and we've either been successful or maybe we weren't successful and we learned from that. So we were able to, over working with hundreds of clients, to be able to develop what those best practices are, um, which is a huge driver. But then also the client-driven product innovation. So that's an, that's another thing. So, you know, one thing we try to do is with our product, we, you know, some agencies are much more well-resourced than others. Uh, so, and that means, of course, that the well-resourced agencies are going to get exactly what they want all the time. The ones that don't sort of get to pick up the pieces of whatever's left. And so because of that, we take those well-resourced agencies and the low-resourced agencies we gather their feedback, we, we speak to them, we understand where a product needs to go to be able to support them. And we're able to innovate our product through our actual clients' needs, both large and small. And we can take that investment that the large clients have made and help out the smaller clients um, with those same functions. We're able to output functionality for small agencies as low as small as one person um, that they couldn't have even dreamed of having for the price. And then two other main points, the first uh, low code software. So the ability to make updates and changes by a non-technical user on their own, that's huge. Um, you know, no one wants to submit a ticket and wait three years for it to be responded to for a simple change in, in language. But then uh, also the security component of it. Um, lots of agencies sort of don't understand the scrutiny that goes into the, the security associated with PII. Um, or, uh, you know, other types of information regulators collect criminal record checks, they're, you know, background checks, they're collecting identification, they're collecting socials, they're collecting a lot of critical information that needs to be protected. And the only way that you can address those challenges and mitigate that risk today is by choosing a software as a service venue that takes that security super seriously, which we do. So toot toot or woot woot or whatever I just did. <laughs> exactly. I, I think there was definitely some horn tooting. If we could talk for a bit about uh, Google and Google Cloud, actually, um, and your usage of it, I think starting at, at the front uh, or at the beginning, rather, um, do you could you talk a little bit about the evaluation process that you went through 
in picking a cloud provider and kind of what was important as you did that? Um, what were you looking for and how did that play into the decision process? Oh yeah, there, there was a ton that we were looking for when we were selecting a cloud vendor. And there's lots of, of cloud vendors out there, um, but we were looking for a few sort of key things to help drive uh, our platform. First, uh, it was, we wanted someone that had an interest and a focus in the public sector. And that's not very common in the cloud industry. You think it would be given how everything, every government is moving to cloud-based or trying to move to cloud-based everything. Um, and there are very few that focus on the public sector. So that was really important. But also, you know, we needed things like FedRAMP high data security, um, which Google Cloud was able to offer for us. Uh, understanding the public sector in general, Google's public sector staff have increased you know, from four to something like 800 people in, in the matter of four years, which instills a level of confidence. And then also does the platform in this case, you know, do, do they add any value that we can then pass on to our clients? So I'm not just talking about being able to turn on servers and host stuff on Google Cloud. I'm talking about, you know, what what other areas uh, does Google Cloud or what area other areas can the cloud vendor sort of help us um, add value to our clients. So things like AI document recognition, uh, you know, new methodologies for storing, editing, modifying documents, add-ons, integrations that that add, you know, that level of value to our clients. And also finally have a mechanism for us to be able to sell through them to these, um, to these industries, uh, particularly, the, you know, the government agencies, anyone that has a, has a toe in um, has an advantage. And uh, I think that's that's been really helpful. So that ultimately led to the decision of Google Cloud. And that was one of many, many, many factors that we considered, but those were some of the main ones. Um, and we've been quite happy with it. It's It's been very successful for us. That's great to hear. And uh, yeah, it, that's kind of where I expected you to go. So none of that was too surprising, but that's, that's really comforting to hear that there were a lot of those features that, um, you know, I strongly suspected would be important to you that Google Cloud hit, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then related, uh, you know, now I guess you can toot our horn a little bit. Um, you know, <laughs> um, how did you become involved with SADA? Uh, you know, what brought you to us, and uh, you know, what have we been? Um, you know, what's it been like working with us? Yeah, oh, it's, well, it's been uh, it's been great actually. So we identified a need. A while ago, that you know, we needed to establish some better partnerships within the industry, and Sada presented themselves as an excellent sort of option for us to go for because, first of all, the rapid growth of, of Sada is it's huge, growing super rapidly. Really good company company culture that that really seems to align with ours at Ventia, and then also you know being a top partner at Google for years and years and years, there was this implied trust that we were able to establish, um, you know, understanding that working with Sada's leadership team would help us to expand, you know, the Thentia story to uh, all sorts of stakeholders, all sorts of people that, that need our services. So it's been, it's been great. And the relationship both between Sada and Google Cloud, I mean, you guys have been incredible partners for us. So it's been, it's been wonderful between, you know, cloud security, sales, marketing support, you know, we've been able to build up a lot with um, with Sada's and, and Google Cloud support. Um, I remember, you know, for, when we first established the partnership and doing some of the demos with the, the teams on either side and how 
excited everyone was on both sides saying like, you know, this is something that people need. People have been asking for something like this and we don't have anything in our stack currently that's going to, that's going to meet these needs. So everyone walked away from that meeting and was like, yes, like this is going to work. This is going to be amazing. So it, yeah, it's been a wonderful relationship. And I, and I trust that as we continue to grow and expand as we are rapidly, um, both of these trusted companies are going to, are going to grow with us. So it's been, it's been a great relationship. That's, that's really great to hear. I'm kind of curious, you know, what do you see, you know, I guess without getting away any secret sauce, you know, kind of what's coming down for uh, Thentia? What's, what's got you really excited? Um, either, you know, working internally, stuff that you guys are working on, working with Google, working with Sada, you know, what's kind of uh, the next big thing that you, you're really um, kind of worked up about? So, I mean, our, our product continues to, to grow and evolve. Uh, as we would expect it to, as we uh, gain more clients, as we gain more feedback and stakeholder input, we can improve the product. That's really exciting. But what's most exciting to me is how we're not diversifying, but we're adding value-added services to these clients. So as we speak to them, we understand their needs. We understand sort of different venues or vendors that they've selected for different reasons. We've been able to more or less identify some areas where, you know, GovTech, Agency or the GovTech groups are not, or government agencies, I suppose, they're not treated very well. And, um, you know, lots of industries look at them as just sort of an open piggy bank. And, and well, everyone needs to earn their dollar, of course, um, you know, we, we're trying to find ways that we can reduce their costs well serving them but but the value added things like Dentia payments for example which we're in the process of rolling out we identified very quickly as we spoke to more and more clients that hey they're paying a lot of money for credit card processing services um, and passing those fees on to the the public and uh you know if there's a way that we can reduce that give money back to the the public or to the agency by reducing their their overhead while providing a better service that you know directly integrates with a licensing solution, then why wouldn't we do that? So not only are we making our product better, we're we're adding those those value added services to sort of help those clients um, and those agencies as much as possible. That's awesome. Um, something you just said kind of uh, sparked something in, in in my own head, and I, I wonder if uh, you could satisfy my curiosity. And maybe this goes nowhere. I'm not sure, but what is it or is there rather um something about agencies that generate enough data for you to be able to turn that around and offer them some sort of services based on kind of data that th that they have data that they've accrued and may not necessarily know exactly how to extract the most value out of it, out of it and is that something that you can um work with them on and you know in a way that's still regulated you know as soon as you start talking about using data in any industry, you've you've always already got to be careful, and I'm assuming with government, even more so. But there's so much possibility. Once, like like you said, you know, we went through this whole period of like mass digitization, um, so everyone can access what they need to access from home. And there's so much opportunity here to probably do a lot more with that and be able to, if nothing else, you know, reduce uh, manual effort on some things. But I think there's probably even a lot more than that. Is there something that? Um, is that something you're moving towards? Is that something you you're working on currently? And you know, is that something that uh, GCP helps you out with? Yeah, data 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 is huge. So all, all these agencies, all everyone in general, collects a huge amount of data, and 
most times they don't know what to do with it. They collect it for the sake of collecting it because they think they have to, or it's a question that they have to ask or something like that. But really, um, all of these agencies have gathered these ginormous data sets that, that can give them insights into so many different things. And in most cases, what we found is that the agencies themselves, unless they have, first of all, a huge budget and highly technical staff that under like data scientists or, or developers, they don't have a mechanism to be able to interpret that data and, and look for patterns and trends uh, in, in that data. So we've been able to, we have an analytics center within our, our uh, solution. And it allows regulators to basically query anything they want on any type of data. And how we've been able to help them and how we're going to continue to help them is, you know, through standardization of data, which is something that our solution helps with. What insights can we gain from it? Let me give, let me give you a simple example of this. So um, say uh, we're talking, I'll use uh, an accountant. Accountants need to be licensed. Um, you know, they need to go through education, get an exam, that sort of thing in order to be licensed. Um, and they pass all their exams and that's fine. Everything's good. They get licensed. A couple of years down the road, complaints start coming in about this person. That complaint leads to investigations, which could potentially lead to disciplinary outcomes or, or suspensions. It depends on the severity of what, what the person actually did. And so in most cases, we're just looking at directly what, what did that person do? Why did they do it? And how do we prevent this individual from doing it again? But if they took a step back and looked at the trends in those data, which some, some do, but not just, you know, how many complaints in this category did we get, but maybe how many complaints did we get? And you know what? We're noticing that a lot of these complaints came from individuals that were from the same educational institution. So is there something that we should look into in regards to the institution and how they're teaching and how they were certified to teach? or is it just the individual? And, and that's just one example, because ultimately regulation and licensing is to reduce risk to the public, right? And uh, part, of, part of that is understanding where the risk lies. And using the data can help regulators effectively understand where the true risk lies and not just, uh, you know, uh, at reacting to a single incident or a series of incidents by, uh, by a single person. Look at the big picture. Right. You're trying to get to the next level of understanding. It's not the uh, the the first why. You want to get to the fourth or fifth why. It's like, this happened. Okay, why? Well, it's because of that. Well, then why? And then you start digging in deeper and deeper and using analytical tools kind of helps that. Exactly. And as the problem comes up in one regulator, we're able to sort of craft some reports using standardized data within our platform and share that same report with all other regulators to say, hey, this is something that you could look at. This might be a data trend that you could investigate. Um, so it sort of uh, peels the onion back a little bit to, right. to help them see sort of under the surface layer. So I, I guess uh, last question for you, you know, what are you personally excited about? You know, what's, uh, you know, your next six month year look like that um, you're really um, into and, and kind of can't wait to happen? Oh gosh, so many things. Things change so quickly in the in the technology sector, so keeping up with it can be really oh, yeah. tough. But the first, it's 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 insane. Actually, you think you you think you're ahead, and then you get uh, uh, you get sort of railroaded by by someone else that that was doing something at the same time. But anyway, yep. uh, so it's first. I'm I'm really excited to be able to participate more directly in the development of our product. That's not me sort of 
shouting out Thentia. That's I'm genuinely excited because I see the good that we could potentially do for all these agencies and not just the agencies to help them save time, but the public as well. The licensees, they have such a bad time. And I feel like what we're doing is genuinely helping. So over the next year, you know, we're really going to shape what our product is even further than it's already been defined and find ways to, to actually help people and solve problems. And in a way, we're sort of, it's our own little way to help protect the public. Um, you know, through by by enabling others that are required to do it, you know, through technology to be able to do so as well. So it's it's it sounds. I mean, now that I think back about what I just said, it sounds almost cheesy, but it it really is it really is cool because when you start to see the changes and the impact of something that you do and how it's actually helping people and you get the feedback, it's empowering to continue to do it to continue to do more, and I I love it. And then the second thing is finally being able to go back to conferences. Holy moly, have I missed that. <laughs> the networking and the, the presentations and the, the, the drinks, the online you know, conferences, sorry. I mean, I tried. <laughs> I did I, yeah. try. It's just not the same. So I'm excited to be able to, to get back out there, meet, meet clients, meet stakeholders, and interact with my peers at some of these conferences. Absolutely. I, I attended. I, I spoke at a couple of virtual conferences. Uh, it's not the same. I, I do enjoy the in-person ones as well. Yeah, not that I didn't learn anything from the digital conferences. I absolutely did. But half of the conference attendance is the networking and sharing similar stories and understanding, hey, you know, a lot of people have this problem. So, um, you know, we can all get around, uh, uh, sit, sit, sit at a round table and talk about it. So anyways, I really like that. I missed it. I'm, I'm excited to jump back into it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's That's really cool. But um, I think we're going to wrap here. And uh, it was really great having you. Thank you so much for joining. And uh, really looking forward to what we can uh, accomplish together down the road. Um, and actually, speaking of in-person conferences, uh, I hope our audience is very excited about SADA Impact coming in uh, September 2022. Uh, it'll be September 14th and 15th. Um, it'll be in-person and virtual. So we're going to do a hybrid conference. Um, you know, love to see you there if you can make it in Los Angeles. If not, you know, love to see you online as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. <laughs>